we trust you for the grace to trust you. We thank you because your promises to us are yes and amen. amen. Already settled in the heavenlies. And so tonight, Lord God, in Jesus' name, we receive by faith everything for which Jesus, the Son of God, went to the cross to provide for us. We thank you for our times together. We bless your name, Lord Jesus, for the power and the presence of your spirit. Thank you for your unction to teach, your unction to receive. We bless you, we honor you now and forever in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Again, we welcome everyone tonight to uh, this series of teachings on being seated together with Christ in the heavenly places, which is actually a uh, teaching on the book of Ephesians. Uh, so we've began this journey now since Sunday, and today is Thursday. And so leading up to tonight, I said to us, uh, maybe two days ago now, that the book of Ephesians is broken into two portions. The first part deals exclusively with all the benefits that we receive as a result of Jesus' finished work at Calvary. So chapters 1 to 3 helps us to understand what Jesus has accomplished for us. And Paul, being a master writer, inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course, it's like he just laid the argument, he just laid it all down, what God has done for us, and in particular, our position in Christ and the blessings that come to us as a result of that position, and then the responsibilities that go along with that. Amen? Amen. So last night, we addressed the first part of, the, uh, of, the, of this second section, dealing or addressing with sitting. Now, I told you, if you remember, uh, there's a divine order in receiving the things of the kingdom of God. There's a divine order as regards the spiritual life in the kingdom of God. And it's important we remember that. If you get nothing else from our times together, you need to get this divine order. And that is, we first sit in order to walk so we can stand. Three key words, sit, walk, and stand. That's the way everything under grace works. That bears repeating. Sit, walk, stand. And that's the way everything under grace works. So tonight, as I move on tonight, let me just go back a little bit. I left here last night very burdened. Burdened because even though we shared and taught, I, I really didn't feel like we really, 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 really understand entering into rest. Amen? So before I move into walking tonight, I want to backtrack a little bit and go over that a little bit again, uh, using some things that God showed me today to try to re-explain certain portions of that. Because the truth is, if you don't sit, you will never be able to walk. So rather than me just rush and say, well, tonight we're going to do the walking and leave you hanging on the sitting, you will hear walking and standing, but you will not be able to do either because you've not learned to rest, to, to sit. You follow me? Now, by the way, all the notes, as I promised last night, are already on the website, walkfindusa.org slash message. And in fact, tonight's note for walking is also already there. And I'm saying that to you because, you see, I can only say so much in this 45, 50 minutes. There is a lot more in my notes that I, don't, I can't get out to you. So I really strongly encourage you not just to hear, but to also go back and download those notes so you can really fully understand everything we are talking about because I really believe this entire book of Ephesians is a masterpiece. It really is a masterpiece. Amen? So now, going back to sitting, and sitting means that me and you are seated together with Christ. We are in him and we know right now what he's doing. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So let me just go back for a few minutes and then we're going to go forward. I said to you that the, uh, the issue uh, that all spiritual life begins from the place of rest. 
All spiritual life begins from the place of rest. Now, this is not just something that Paul just picked off along the way. This had always been God's principle, even from the beginning. Now, in the creation, God walked from the first to the sixth day and rested on the seventh. We read that in scriptures clearly, Genesis chapter 2. We may truthfully say that for those first six days, God was very busy. Then, when the task he had set for himself was completed, he ceased to walk. Ceased as in C-E-A-S-E-D. He stopped to walk. He's finished and he stopped walking. Amen? The seventh day, therefore, became the Sabbath rest of God. It was God's rest. You follow me so far? Good. But the Bible also tells us that Adam was created on the sixth day. And from what we know of the creation account or story, clearly Adam had no part whatsoever in those first six days of work. He couldn't because he was not there. Amen? For he, Adam, only came into being at the end of the sixth day. Therefore, God's seventh day of rest was in fact Adam's first day. Do you see that? This is God's principle from the beginning. Everything was laid out that would sustain man's life on earth before he brought that man forth. He had finished it before Adam began. So Adam was brought in into God's rest. And it was from that position of rest that Adam began his life. (laughs) So, God walks before God rests. While man must first enter into God's rest before man can walk. You follow that? God did not give man anything to do until after man came into being on the sixth day and began his life on the seventh day. So in Genesis 2.15, when God told Adam to help tender and care for the earth, it was after God brought him forth on the, at the end of the sixth day and the seventh day, the day of rest, was when Adam first began to understand what life on the earth was going to be all about. Amen? Now, it was because God's work of creation was truly complete that Adam's life could begin with rest. In other words, if God's work of creation was not complete, Adam would not have come forth. It was upon the completion of of God's creation and the work of creation that Adam came forth and began to function. Now, is this just an aberration? Is this, is this just an isolated incident about Adam and rest? Is this just something that happened one time and never to be seen again? No. No. Like I said to you, every spiritual life in the kingdom of God begins with rest. And we know that because it not only happened in Adam. When God brought Israel out of bondage, what did they do in bondage? Walk, 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 walk. What did they work for? They worked for Pharaoh. And when God brought him out, God said, the Ark of the Covenant will go ahead of you for three days' journey to find a place for you to rest. Numbers chapter 10, verse 33. So what we saw in Adam, God also did in Israel. Not only did he do that in Israel, we read the scriptures in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Can you give me that, please, Grace? 
I want you to see this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 10 to 11. It is important we understand the issue of rest or sitting together with him. Because once you get that, walking and standing becomes easy. But if you don't get that, you're walking in vain and you'll be standing in vain. Look at what it says. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land. Notice. Who is bringing them to the land? The Lord. Oh, are they taking themselves to the land? No. Did they know the way to the land? No. Who led them to the land? God. God. And you should remember, Israel, the Bible describes in the book of Acts, chapter 7, verse 38, Israel was the church in the wilderness. They were the church in the wilderness. God brought them out. Who brought you out? Answer me. Absolutely. The same way as God brought them out, God brought you and I out. The Bible says he brought us out to bring us in. Oh my God. So, so who set the agenda? Who set the perimeters? He brought us out to bring us in. Did you know where you were going? No. Did Israel know where they were going? No. It was the God who brought them out who now led them to where they need to go. And that's the essence of rest. He wants to lead you and I to the place where we've been created to thrive, not strive. He does not want us to struggle. He does not want us to strive, as a case may be, but rather he wants us to thrive. But the only way you thrive in the kingdom of God is God is the one that's leading you. Why? He knows the way that you go. Amen. Hallelujah. He's been there before you were born. He understands the, 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 the landscape along the way, and he says, I can take you there. Amen. Are you following me? So all God wanted Israel to do was to trust him. Let, let, me, let me read the scripture. Oh, wow, I didn't finish reading it. Okay, so I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just getting excited here. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities. Notice what it says. Which what? Oh, I see. You're trying to build your own cities? God said, I'll build it for you already. You left Egypt, you think you're going to go to Canaan and make something happen? No, 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 no. You know, you're not going to make Jack happen. I've already made it happen. I just want you to believe what I've done and follow my directions. Read on, verse 11. Houses full of all good things which you did not feel. In other words, Israel, let's get the record straight. What you are about to get or receive, you had nothing to do with it. While you were improvised in Egypt, I was already making the provision for you. While you were yet in your mother's womb, I've already chosen you. I've already called you out as a special treasure. I have already made all the provision you will ever need. Just follow my instructions. Just follow my guidance. Just follow my leading. Enter into my rest. Houses full of good things, which you did not fear. Hornet wells, which you did not dig. You see, we're living in the 21st century in the Western world. We have no idea what wells mean. When you saw wells there, wells. You think of some remote village in your, in your, in your, in your village in Africa or wherever you live in. No, no, no. Wells in the Middle Eastern region was a very important commodity. Not everybody had wells. That's why in John chapter 4, the Bible talks about how Jesus sat on the well, the well of Jacob. Very few people had them. And to have them, you became a person of renown. My God. So God said to them, where's that been horn out? These are not words you have to get there and start wondering, hey, is what I'm going to come out today? Oh my goodness. No, it's, 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 it's good to go. But the point God wants to make, you didn't dig it. Vineyards and olive trees, which what? You did not plant. Uh, is, is that clear enough? Yes. This was the life God had for them. 
provision is already made. They didn't have to go and make it happen. It's already there. All God was saying, just trust me. And trust me mean sit, relax, chill, rest. I've done it all. You just need to believe me, obey me, and go get it. Now, this afternoon I was just thinking about all of this. And it became obvious to me that sitting has two parts to it. Resting in Christ. So, if, so Paul tells us that me and you are in him. No doubt about that. We're in him. But Jesus broke it down. In John chapter 15. Let's go read it. John 15. Verse 4. Thank you. Look at what it says. Abide in me. What does that mean? You in Christ. By God's sovereign appointment, the day you and I got born again, he placed you and I in him. You abide in him. But look at what Jesus goes on to say. And I in you. That's the flip side of that coin. You can be in him. But you also have to understand that the equation is not complete unless and until he is also in you. On the one part, you have absolutely nothing to do with it. You got born again, you believe, Jesus came into your life, bang, automatically God placed you in Christ. You are there. You will never be lost. You are going to heaven no matter what. But he goes on to say, and I in you. Now that's the part where you and I cannot become ignorant. That's the part where Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Let me give an illustration. Uh, maybe a couple of years ago, my wife and I, and Bishop Fuller and his wife, we went to Las Vegas. We were on a Delta flight. After church on the, in the afternoon. This flight was supposed to be for about maybe four hours. When economy, coach. Three hours into the flight, all of us were starving, raging, hungry, and thirsty. You remember that? Delta did not even, a drop of water they didn't give us. Not one drop. Everybody on the aircraft, man, I mean, listen. The flat attendants, I don't know where they were, they were hiding somewhere because people were ready to just gather down and say, Give us something to drink. Do you remember that? Terrible service. A four hour flight, three hours in the flight, nobody got nothing. You know why? Why in economy? There have been other flights where we've been privileged where we fly up front, business class. And I'm saying to you, those in business class and those in economy, they take off at the same time and they land at the same time. But the similarity to their experience ends there. Because when you get into business class and you are sitting in front of the aircraft, all of a sudden, it's a totally different story. Noise canceling headsets, bigger seats, menu, socks for you to wear. Some of those flights they give you nighttime pajamas to wear. The meals are different. Flat attendants seem to have better attitudes for some reason. <laughs> totally different experience. Now, the point I'm making is this once you enter the aircraft and you're in front, whether you say it's 2K or 2A, whatever. There are certain things you see that's very obvious. The size of the seat, the, 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 how nice the flight attendants are, they take your jacket, go try that in coach. <laughs> they hang on your jacket, they meet you with a drink, uh, you want some champagne or orange juice or what? I mean, hot towels, all of those things are very obvious. Yeah. 
But there are some other things in that same business class that is not so obvious. For instance, depending on the type of the aircraft, you can sit down there, it's large seat, you're on a long flight, if you don't know how to operate the amenities. You're sitting upright for a 10 hour flight, you don't know that your, you do not know that your seat is a bed. Why? Because nobody told you how to turn that seat into a bed. Ignorance. Yeah, when was that? I don't, I can, maybe July of some, last, this last year? I was on a flight on Virgin Atlantic to London, England. I had never flown Virgin Atlantic. The church in England invited me and paid for the ticket. It was up in front of the aircraft. I have never flown this, this, this airline. I walked in the business class, one, one, one. That's the configuration. Three rows only. One, one, one. I thought I was in my living room. Watch this, watch this. 30 minutes into the flight, the flight leveled off. I saw all the guys around me, they, they, they sit down to bed, flat. <laughs> I want to go to sleep, I, took, I, I pressed this button, nothing happened. I pressed that one, nothing happened. True story. I looked around, I looked, looked. I said, what, what, what am I doing right now? Mind you now, I've flown many, many other business classes. But Virgin Atlantic is unique. Yes. Very unique. So finally, after about three hours, oh. you see, I was trying to look cool so they don't say where. <laughs> oh my goodness. You guys are laughing at me. That's all right. <laughs> three hours with eating and all that stuff. I found out father. I said, listen, how, how does this, I mean, it, 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 I'm so sorry. I said, how does this, oh, I said, oh, no, this is a different kind of seat. You totally have to get up and flip the thing over and it becomes a total complete bed. The only carrier in the world that does that. What's the point I'm making? I was in business class. Where I was seated is very, very comfortable, special class of service. I was in business class. But the amenities of business class were still obscure to me. Therefore, even though I was in business class, I could not fully enjoy the amenities and the experience of that flight. Why? Because I was ignorant. So Jesus said, abide in me. And my words or I abide in you. So the point I'm making is, yes, when you became born again, automatically by God's sovereign act, placed us in Christ. It's now up to you to learn and understand the amenities that are available in Christ. If you don't learn, you won't last. If you don't understand the privileges that are available to you as a person in Christ, you are in him, yes. You die and go to heaven, yes. But you live in the earth totally, completely oblivious to all the things you should be getting why you are here. That's why the issue or the place of the study of the word of God becomes absolutely critical. Yes. That's why Paul says, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly, accurately dividing the word of truth. Are you following me? Are you understanding this better? It's very, very critical. You see, if you're familiar with flying first class, if, if maybe you go to the toilet, and while you are gone, they gave some things out, but because you're familiar with the, the, the protocol of service, even though you were in the restroom when they did certain things, when you come out, you ask for them. Go get me this, go get, why? You know these are your entitlements. All right. But if you didn't know anything, 
Now, this, these are true stories. Now, let, let me tell you another one, and I need, I need to move on. The very first time I flew here Emirates, in the front, Emirates advertises, they tell you that in business class, you can watch up to 1,005 movies. I went through that whole flight. I did not know how to turn the TV on. <laughs> Crazy thing. It happened. True story. True story. So, so, so I'm saying to you, there are certain things that may happen to you because you are just ignorant of what's available. You see, me and Small, a lot of you who are talking this afternoon, he was sitting me, Pastor, man, I hope, I hope you guys are streaming these messages because this and that and that. And, I, and he said something to me that really just resonated with me. He said, now I know why God wants us to, sit, uh, to be seated. He said, because when we are seated in Christ, what that does is gives me and you a different perspective of what's going on. Yes. That's the truth. Because God wants me and you to see what's going on on the earth the way he sees them. And not just what you think based on your finite mind. Remember 1 Samuel chapter 16? When Samuel went to ordain, uh, anoint uh, David for, uh, and I saw this, David's brother, ah, this one is good. Yeah. God said, no, that's not the one. And this one, ah, that's not the one. Now, this is a prophet. And God had to tell him. God does not see as man seeth. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks into the heart. Then Jesus comes and tells us in John chapter 7, I believe verse 23 or verse 24, I think verse 24, John 7, 24. He said, do you, he said, don't judge according to appearance. He said, rather, judge righteous judgment. In other words, your eyes will deceive you. Your ears will lie to you. The things you see with your eyes and hearing with your ears in the natural, you say, yeah, I got it, I know it. By the time you get there, the thing has changed. You miss it. You miss it. Look at what happened to Jesus with John the Baptist. Here comes the Son of God to be baptized. John saw him coming. He said, you've got to be kidding. Absolutely not. I'm not baptizing you. I will not baptize you. You should be baptizing me, Jesus. Why, why was John saying that? He was looking according to appearance. How can I baptize God? Uh, isn't that, I mean, uh, if I was John, I would, I would say the same thing. Are you kidding me? I'm going to baptize you, God? And Jesus said to him, so far to be so now. Yeah. The issue, John, is not about being right or wrong, mm. but let all righteousness be fulfilled. Yeah. That's why we miss it. And the reason this is important, because where we go from this lesson after tonight, is critically important, because now Paul is going to start dealing and addressing human relationships. Mm. And in a place where we make the biggest mistake, it's based on what we saw. We saw him do this. We saw her do that. We heard her say this. We heard him say that. And on the basis of what we think we saw and heard, we form a judgment. And that judgment, God help us, is unchangeable. This is not alterable. He is no good. She is no good. And God is saying, be careful. Don't judge according to your parents. Don't judge according, judge based on what God is saying. Nathaniel, under the tree, was told about Jesus, the son of God. He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And when Jesus saw him face to face, he said, behold an Israelite, in whom there's no guile. If he was going to judge according to appearance, he should be saying, you, what's wrong with you, man? He should say some colorful words. <laughs> Cuss him out or do something with him. But no, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. Because he saw his destiny. I will not label him, label him based on what just happened. 
So the issue of sitting has to do with the issue of trusting. Trusting that God's perspective is better than our perspective. And therefore, no matter what we're seeing, hearing, I'm just going to trust and pack in God and get a better view of what God is saying and doing. We read the scripture the other night about Elisha's servant, who because the enemy came around in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17, was afraid and went to his master and said, listen, the enemy is all around us. What did Elijah say? He said, God, open his eyes so he may see. And then they saw that the angels and the shadows of God were all around them. It's all a matter of perspective. Once he saw that God's people were for them, he chilled down. So the point is God wants me and you to sit in him so we can get a better perspective of what's going on. I remember years ago, uh, me and my son, we went to see uh, Atlanta Falcons football game years ago. And we were sitting in the bleachers. But from where we were sitting, yeah, we saw the field, we saw the game, but we realized that some guys are way up there in the booth. Have you ever wondered why the broadcasters don't stand on the, on the, on the ground level? They're in the booth. Up, far above. Because from the booth, they have a better vantage point of the entire field. That's what God has done. He's raised up Jesus far above all principality. Far above powers. Far above all the rulers of the darkness. And he now says, sit with me. Because where you are perched far above everything, you have a better view of what's going on down there. Don't be picking the ground like a chicken, but soar as an eagle. That's God's challenge to us. Amen? Amen. Now, having established that, we can, we can attempt uh, to, to, go, to, to, to go on now and, and talk about walking. So remember again, we sit so we can walk, so we can stand. Amen? And of all these three uh, key words, the one that fuels everything is the issue of me and you being seated. Because again, if you are not seated, you will not be able to walk. And then consequently, you will not be able to stand. So, walking. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ah, praise God. Ephesians chapter 4. Did you guys understand that, the issue of sitting? Is it clearer to you tonight? Ah, three people. Okay, all right. Lord have mercy. <laughs> praise God. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with, you, with which you are called. All right. So walking is the practical outworking of that heavenly position here on earth. Remember Jesus' prayer? Let thy will be done in the earth as it is in heaven. So who are those that's going to do that will? Me and you. Me and we. So he seats us together in him in the heavenly places. But he does not want me and you to be so heavenly minded to the point where we are no earthly good. So now he says, I want you to put your feet on the ground where your heart already is. So walking is the practical outworking of that heavenly position here on earth. So as a heavenly people, we are required to exemplify the qualities of heaven in our earthly conduct. And this by itself raises serious problems. So what does the book of Ephesians have to say about walking? So we read here Ephesians chapter, one, uh, chapter 4 verse 1. Let's go to verse 2. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Go to verse 17. Verse 17, thank you. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Verse 23. Verse 23. And be renewed 
in the spirit of your mind. So Paul is saying, listen, you are born again now. You've been redeemed, forgiven. You have been destined to be a son of God. You have inheritance in him. You have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been given all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in him. On and on and so it's now saying as a result of all these benefits or blessings that you have, you should not be walking now like the Gentiles do. Gentiles mean Gentiles meaning people that are not born again. In other words, you and I should not continue to walk in the flesh, live in the flesh, talk in the flesh, do canal things. And unfortunately for many Christians, when we talk to one another, you hear all say things like, that, that's just the way I am. No, that's not the way you are. When you say that, you just lied against God. This is the reason for which Jesus died. It is not sufficient that when I fail or have a shortcoming or make a mistake or miss it, that, that's just the way I am. If I'm still saying that, after having been born again for a little while, something is wrong with the grace deep. I need another deep of grace. Now, like Paul said, in Philippians chapter 3, he said, I have not already attained. I have not perfect yet. I get all of that. But if you read that verse very closely, he said, but I press on. I am not going to accept mediocrity. I'm not going to accept the lifestyle that does not glorify God and say, that's the way I am. No. Every time I make a mistake or miss it or sin or do something that does not glorify God, something in my heart is a bank that is not like God. A flag should go on in my spirit and say, that's not how I recreated you. Because if I didn't be in Christ, it's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So where did that come from? That behavior, that action, that thing I just said. So I'm not saying we will not make mistakes. We will. But I'm saying when we make the mistakes, like David, our heart should smite us. We should be quick to say, you know what? I am so sorry. That's not my father. That's not what Jesus died for. Amen. Or even better still, that's not what he lives for. Let, let me read one scripture. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. Romans chapter 5 verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know that verse of scripture there? We can preach for, 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 for five hours. Jesus' death reconciled me to God. That's all he did. Let me finish what I'm saying. His death reconciled me. What does reconcile me? So my wife and I had an argument. We had a, like Pastor Charles says, we had a very intense debate. (laughs) When we make up, we reconciled. When we, so so while, while we were having the debate or the disagreement, we were quarreling, okay? But when you make up, a reconciliation takes place. Mm-hmm. So we're able to come back together and relate and fellowship, reconcile, restored. May I submit to you that your salvation is bigger than reconciliation? Reconciled means you die, you go to heaven. That's what it means. Reconciled means 
Heaven now is your home. No question. No matter what happens, you are going to heaven. No, no question. But reconciliation does not do anything for how you live right now. It gives you access. That's, that's what they look. Let's read that verse again. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. So what Paul is saying is helping you and I to understand the death of Jesus and the life of Jesus. His dying brings reconciliation. While we were yet sinners, God died for the ungodly. His death brought us to him. Now, the flip side of that coin is, his life now wants to save you. <laughs> wow. Okay, it's quiet. What does that mean? Did that mean, did, did that mean when you are reconciled, you are not born again? No, no, it, it doesn't mean that. That's not, what, that's not what he's saying. Save means, what he's saying, much more, have it been reconciled. So, okay, let me, let me back off. Many of us stop at the reconciliation. We are not living a much more life yet. Do you see the scripture? Yes, sir. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more. If his death reconciled us, where we are now in fellowship with God, we can go to heaven, we are in him, how much more shall we be saved by his life? The abundance living for which Jesus intended God's original purpose for your creation when he chose you before the time began, it is his life that's going to make it happen. I, I, I'm not sure if you heard what I'm saying. God did not just create you so you can be reconciled. Reconciliation came to pass or came into the, came into the picture because Adam sinned. But remember, through T3 training and teachings, we already told you before, you, before Adam ever sinned, God already had a purpose for you. That's why Ephesians 1.4 says you were chosen from, the, from before the time began. You were chosen before the foundation of the earth. So the question is, what did he choose you for? So whatever he chose you for, it is the life of Jesus now that can make that happen. His death brought you to the door. You are reconciled, saved, hallelujah. You are in God, seated in him. He now says, while, I, while, while, while you are in me, let my life now walk in you. When you open your mouth, let me feel it. When you raise your hand, let me be the one that's moving it. When you're moving and walking, let me be the one that's making you walk. Let me live the life that I intended for you in and through you. Let me be the one living it. You just play along. It is his life that does that. Not his death. <sighs> Are you guys understanding what I'm saying? Is that verse very clear? There are two sides. It's the engine. He died so we can be reconciled. But he lives so you and I can have life. But not have our life, but his life. It's a lie. That's why in Revelation when he appeared, he said, I'm, 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 uh, uh, what did they say? How did they say it? I'm the, I'm, I'm the one that lived and was dead. Live it came before death. Because right now, his present goal right now is to live through us. So Paul was telling the efficient Christians, you can't keep on doing what the Gentiles do. Because when, uh, I don't think we read the scriptures last night, okay, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning from, give me Ephesians chapter 2. Give me Ephesians chapter 2. Thank you. Verse 1. Okay. 
After I told them it's their blessings, I didn't touch this last night, but it's the notes. It's in the notes that I did not give you. Rather, it's in the notes that I gave you on the, on the website, the scriptures and all of this. I didn't, I didn't address it last night. But I'm just referencing it now so you understand why he said to them what he said in, verse, in chapter 4, Ephesians 4. He said, and you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Go on. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. So the point of, the point of that is this. After he told them all their blessings, he reminded them of their career, of their history. He told them where they came from. The kind of life they used to live. He reminded them how they were sons of wrath. And on and on and on and on. So now in chapter 4, having established properly their blessings and their position, is now telling them that they should walk worthy of this new position. Don't go back and start living the way you used to live. That's what I'm telling them. Okay, let me move on. Ah. Give me Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 5. Actually, Ephesians 5, verse 2. Verse 2 first there. Verse 2. Thank you. Again, remember this section of this teaching? Oh, 822. Praise God. All right. <laughs> so, so for sure now we're going to continue on walking tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, for the rest of the teachings, we take them on Sundays and Wednesdays subsequently. So we're going we're to finish the book. So now Ephesians chapter 2, chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love. Again, the word walk. Okay. As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Verse 8. Verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Again, we are in the Lord. If you are not in the Lord, you are not light. Psalms 136. In his life, we have light. If you are not in him, you don't have light. Walk. As children of light. Let me, just, let me just stop there and just bring this to a close for tonight. And then we're going to pick it up tomorrow. This is what I know. When you really embrace, understand the gospel of grace of God, we will live a gracious life. Let me, let me, break that, let me unpack that. Grace-filled people live graciously. I close with this story. A few years ago, we took a vacation to Maryland. We went to the Amish community. You familiar with the Amish people? And I was so intrigued by their lifestyle. No modern amenities, no electricity, no automation, no cars, no telephones, none of those things. Horse and buggy, correct. <coughs> very, very uh, intrigued by it. We walked around their community, we went to their stores, we went to their restaurant. And so finally, they told us about how they do their church services. So after a while, I just couldn't keep it any longer. I asked one of those guys, I said, listen to me. I said, sir, are you guys born again? His answer. It's just as profound now as it was then. You know what they said to me? Ask my neighbors. Right. Yes. Ask my neighbors. Don't ask me if I'm born again. Ask my wife. Ask my brother. Ask my son. Ask the people that walk around with me. Because you see, Jesus made it clear. You know a fruit, a tree by its fruit. That's right. Not by how great I preach. No matter how great I pray, 
not by I great, I praise. It's none of the three Ps. I don't care how well you preach, how well you pray, how well you praise. The only way anyone will know if you've touched grace is the fruit that comes out of your life. Yes. And that fruit can only be seen by those around you. Keep your testimony to yourself. Let me ask your wife or your husband or your children or the people that work with you. Let's find out from those guys if in fact your life, the, the fruit out of your life is what's blessing them. That's what Paul is talking about here. Because as you're going to see when we move on in this journey, immediately it begins to focus on all the relationships around us. Relationship is a laboratory of grace. Yes. That's it. You can jump all you want and hoop and holler and all of that stuff. When your feet hit the ground, we'll know if you really have grace by the relationships around you. The Amish brother said, ask my neighbors. He finished me. I, I, I became gentle. Wow. <laughs> Nothing else to say. Yeah. He said, you're asking me that? Ask my neighbors. Yeah. I mean, it's been about seven years. I remember it just like that. And that's what Paul is saying to me and you. That's what I said. So folks, I'm telling you, don't just, don't just hear messages. Let the messages get in you. If John is having a problem with Sally, and John is having a problem with Fred, and John is having a problem with Bank, their problem is John. It's simple. It's simple. It's simple. So I'm saying that not in a condemning way, but I'm saying that so we can examine ourselves and say, am I truly in grace? Is this grace just in my head? Is it in my heart yet? Because the life of Jesus is a transformative life. God help us. Father, we thank you for our, for your, our time tonight. We